I want to begin with a uh, verse slash scripture, Psalm 72, 19. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Talking to you tonight about engaging the culture with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, Thank you, sir. Way before we were ever commanded to go and share the gospel, that's the Great Commission, we were commanded to go and fill the earth. The Great Commission actually flows out of the cultural mandate. We find that in Genesis 1, 26 to 28. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them. God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. If that's the cultural mandate, then what is the culture? Well, culture includes the arts, the sciences, technology, politics, the public square, economics and wealth, the academy, scholarship and education, sports and competition, homemaking, entertainment, and a range of other arenas, disciplines, and spheres. Human vocations or callings, such as family, church, workplace, and community, all contain their own culture. Humans are God's image bearers. Culture is anything that humans produce when they interact with each other and with God's creation. When we interact with each other and with God's creation, we cultivate the ground as in grains, vegetables, livestock, some of you are farmers. We produce artifacts such as clothes, housing, cars. We build institutions like governments, businesses, and schools. We form worldviews as in theism, pantheism, and atheism, and we participate in religions such as Christianity, Hinduism, Buddhism, and Islam. As we produce and we shape the culture, in turn, our cultural context shapes us. It's reciprocal. It affects who we are. It affects what we think what we do, how we feel. If you think about national culture, okay, like, like some national cultures like to wake up late. Some like to, to drink tea and eat crumpets in the afternoon. Everett, is he in here? So, <laughs> just kidding. Some, some others, like our own, they like to be in a rush. The culture in America places high value on freedom and, and the individual, while the culture of Asia, they're more concerned with respecting authority or the communal and the collective societal unit. But if you're going to engage the culture with the gospel, you need to know what the gospel is. Uh, Believe it or not, we often get this wrong. And Josh spent all, all this morning preaching about it. The gospel at its heart is the good news about Jesus as narrated in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The four gospels tell the gospel. I'm not going to elaborate too much on it, Josh, you covered it this morning. The heart of the gospel message is the idea of God's rule of king. He's the king. We sang about that, uh, Ricky, majesty, right? Sang about that this morning. In other words, he's the king of his kingdom. Hopefully, the picture of Jesus we saw on slide one is becoming clearer. Jesus is the gospel. He is the good news. While on earth, Jesus did miracles to show his power over nature, demons, death, and disease. Jesus did not do miracles to impress people, but rather to show people he was God. He would become the savior of the world. When Jesus began His preaching ministry saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The Jews, His own people, they knew exactly what claim He was making. Christ was not Jesus' last name. Christ meant Jesus was the Messiah. That's what Christmas was about, right? The promised anointed one. The King of all creation. He was pronouncing, I'm the King that the Old Testament prophets foretold would come. His kingdom was now, and it is in their midst. And one day it will be consummated. Jesus is telling all, He is king over all. 
Not just for some time in the future, but I'm king right now. Psalms 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world, and those who dwell therein. John 1 teaches us the whole earth was created and is sustained. It's sustained through Jesus Christ. In other words, it wouldn't be here without Him. <laughs> the Creator says in Job 41.1, Who has first given to me that I should repay Him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. The kingdom is God's power in Jesus Christ by the Spirit to restore all of creation to live again under His liberating rule. Restoration is a key thing because the Bible teaches us that one day God will completely renew this fallen world. At creation, God made all things new. At consummation, God will make all things new. Excuse me. Creation, He made all new things. At consummation, He will make all things new. You can see the difference? See the difference? The Bible teaches us that the earth will be destroyed by fire. But understand, God's not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. He's going to refine this earth, this one, by fire, and He's going to make it anew. There is not one square inch of this entire domain of human life of which Christ the Sovereign does not say, that is mine. Isaiah 6.3 says the whole earth, the whole earth is full of God's glory. Every time you look up in the sky, you see His brilliance on display. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says to do everything for the glory of God. The Hebrews believed body, soul, and spirit made up a whole person. And that whole living made up one society, family, workplace, and house of worship. If there is one Lord to whom all people belong and owe their allegiance to, then this reality must be promoted everywhere and in every arena. He's the Lord, right? The Jews didn't separate the secular from the sacred. And we should not either. We need to be fulfilling the cultural mandate by renewing our culture. We promote God's glory to the ends of the earth, not principally because of any human need, but fundamentally because of Christ's unique worthiness as the Lord of heaven and earth. Christ is owed all of our obedience in every arena. It becomes our plea to all to acknowledge that everything rightly belongs to one Lord, Creator and King. After all, Scripture is quite clear that one day every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord. Revelation teaches us that believers will experience the heavenly city, Jerusalem, coming down to earth. We are culture makers now because we will be culture makers forever in the heavenly city. Shalom. That is the word that Hebrews used to describe the anticipated com complete renewal of creation. Shalom means more than peace and it includes universal delight. Shalom describes the creation as it was meant to be. A life of flourishing and prospering in which our relationships with God and with each other and with the non-human creation, think of animals, they are luxuriant, they are thriving relationships. With the inauguration of the kingdom in the person of Jesus Christ, we are able to experience a little of that heaven on earth now. For instance, I doubt many of you being Christians would beat your dog, right? That's a fallen world. Experience heaven for a dog is to not be beat. It's to be fed. It's to be taken care of. When mankind sinned, the world fell. That's why those bad things like that happen. See, after the fall, the world remained structurally good, but it became directionally bad. The world is still good in its structure. But human beings, we like to use the way in, in worlds that are oriented towards ourself, self-worship, and the worship of things rather than God. Our direction is not aligned properly. We live in a fallen world. Our, our tendency is to, as humans is to worship things like, uh, like sex, money, and power rather than worship God. When we do this, our culture and our, our society are, are affected for the worse. Degrading, right? It degrades itself. Neither money, think about this, the way it was created. Neither money, nor power, or sex is bad. All these things were created good. Didn't say God said, it is good. Remember, structure. However, our cultural activities are often easily misdirected. A good thing that becomes a God thing becomes a bad thing. It becomes an idol. 
and idols never deliver. So if our world has fallen and is yet to be restored, if the kingdom has begun yet has not reached its fullness, what are we as believers to do? For many years, and especially from within the Christian school movement, the answer we've been given is to live our lives out of a Christian or a biblical worldview. On the surface, this answer sounds like the cure to all our L's. However, in aiming at our head, the answer misses our heart. Oh man, I feel it beating. (laughs) Just because we know the right thing to do does not mean we are going to do the right thing. The answer aims too low. Now, I'm not saying having a Christian worldview is unimportant. I just don't think it's the end-all, be-all answer it's been made to be. Uh, For the Jew, the heart represented the whole self, the whole person. As Jesus said, it's out of the mouth that the heart speaks. The heart is the inside cup, Jesus' reference, that determines what we do with our body and its parts. Our bodies are important. Like Josh preached this morning, our bodies are like the body of Jesus. One day they will be raised to new life. We are embodied actors in God's play. We're living it out. We're not merely thinking things with humongous heads and itty-bitty unimportant bodies. Even the famous philosopher René Descartes who said, I think, therefore I am, even he misses the mark. Humans are more than mind containers to be filled. Augustine said loving is deeper than thinking. See, if you look at this verse here, I've, I've highlighted love. And I've highlighted heart. But love's the first, first word I've highlighted. Is normally we equate love with the heart. Right? Oh, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be upon your hearts. See, relationship with someone like God, relationship fuels obedience to God. Love for God proceeds obedience to God's commands. Remember, it was Jesus who said in John 14, 15, If you love me, you will keep my commands. Why? Why, do you, why should we love God? 1 John four nineteen says, We love God because He first loved us. See, when you get things out of order, you begin obeying God in an attempt to earn His love. That's not the gospel. The gospel says that in Christ... There is nothing you can do to make God love you more. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. It is finished. Thank you, Jesus. The world and its marketers know that it is our loves, our desires that really drive us. You are what you love, not what you think. It's not whether you love, but what you love. What is your penultimate desire? You are what you want, long for, and desire. Your subconscious desires serve as a default orientation or autopilot mode, gravitating you toward that which you really love. When you first learned to drive, you had to think about each step and in order. Now you just get in your car and drive for an hour without thinking about it. That's the subconscious part. You feel your way around the world more than you think your way through it. Playing a piano, brushing your teeth, or getting to class all work the same way. After a while, you don't have to think about it. This is how your subconscious desires work. What you love is like a weight pulling you in its direction without you having to think about it. This is why the world sells you their version of the good life. The world paints you pictures of the good life. Aesthetic articulations of human flourishing is found in images, stories, and films, not to mention advertisements, commercials, and sitcoms. Victoria really has no secret. (laughs) She's after your heart. 
Your heart is what the Bible describes as the wellspring from which all your actions and behavior flow. Yes, many industries exist to get money out of your wallet or purse, but the truth is they're after your heart, your ultimate loves. They know if they get your heart, they've got your money. This is why Romans 12 teaches you not to be conformed to the patterns of this world. Have your minds transformed by the renewing of the word. You need to be cognizant not only of the world, but of its patterns. I would submit you'll have no such desire for godly transformation uh, of your mind unless God has first transformed your heart. Your primary love is directed toward Him. You should do more than read the Bible. You should allow the Bible to read you. As Christ followers, we must redefine what the good life is and offer the better story to ourselves and our children. There's no better story than God's story. If you take the time, you will find your story in His story. I like to say history. Which kingdom are you serving? Being created as a desiring and imaginative creature? In short, you are what you worship. It was Augustine who said of Creator God, You have made us for yourself. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. At this point in my presentation, I'd like, to I'd like us to transition to observe some different created cultural spheres. Each sphere has a reason for being or a unique purpose. God has so ordered the world that these spheres may overlap at times. However, these spheres by their nature are self-limiting in order that the power of each sphere may be balanced. Each sphere has its own circumference with limits to its jurisdiction. That's how God created it. For example, the separation of church and state, that's a good thing. However, we cannot separate religion and politics. Religion isn't just something you do on Sunday. The first cultural sphere I would like us to look at is the culture of politics. In my opinion, our political atmosphere has become toxic. People can no longer have reasonable discourse with one another. Civility has all disappeared. Politicians stop hearing each other out. They've stopped respecting one another. Instead of having conversations, the alternative is dwindled down to having shouting matches. What matters is not what is said, but how loud one is heard. And we wonder why we cannot make any progress. Not to mention, church in America is being shaped more by national media, social media, and political talk shows than it is by Scripture or Jesus Christ. For the sake of your own witness, when you're discussing politics on social media, I would implore you not to act like a fool. <laughs> Don't name call. Speak the truth in love. Combine grace with truth when you're posting on Facebook, when you're talking with your neighbor, or when you're having a conversation in a coffee shop related to politics. Most of our schools are at the mercy of the state. Oh, excuse me. I'm, I've, I got ahead of myself. I have, excuse me. I have to mention the political culture first because, sad to say, many businesses now operate as the arms and legs of the political agenda which they serve. That's not a healthy overlap of the spheres. More than ever, we know which TV channels and which businesses promote a conservative or liberal agenda. With political discourse amped up in debates and voting elections becoming hotly contested, the true colors of many an organization has come out. For instance, I've been a lifetime United States soccer fan. I'm a big soccer fan. I've always enjoyed watching the World Cup. But it's actually, it just tore my heart to see the U.S. Soccer Federation support Gay Pride Month by making the U.S. men's and women's national teams wear rainbow-colored jerseys. Uh, one Christian, a U.S. woman soccer player, she refused to wear the jersey, and she quit the team. If you don't know, there's also a push 
uh, to make our American flag, red, white, and blue, into a rainbow-colored flag. This is our culture. And I won't even mention a business called the NFL. Oops, sorry. I just <laughs> The LGBTQ movement, the Me Too movement, the Black Lives Matter movement, and the gender neutrality movement are agendas various businesses are having to wrestle with and to either side for or against in our culture. That, we're losing that middle ground. Stake your claim. Which side are you on? Next, I want to talk to you about our, what I call education culture. Uh, most of our schools are at the mercy of the state. And unfortunately, the state's true colors have shown as well. Uh, the public school system reeks with secular humanism. It functions primarily not to educate or inform, but to conform. That's a hard thing. Our children and youth to a secular value system that serves only the interest of the elite who call the educational shots. Now, if you're a Christian serving in our public school system, thank you. I know you're being the light and the salt. Arising out of the Enlightenment era, science and reason came to rule the day. But if you are a Christian teacher in a public school, you, like Christians in other work environments, are supposed to keep your beliefs and values held to yourself in the private realm, while allowing the natural or the public life to declare what is fact and truth. The Bible speaks of this, doesn't it? The world's reasoning and intellect have led us astray. As we look at this slide, um, you'll see where we've really come in, in our culture in, in regards to entertainment. Uh, the first picture there is a picture of the Beatles. You know, rock and roll was big, right, in the 50s. And then Garth Brooks, the country music scene, kind of took over in the 90s. And then about five years ago, Eminem and the rap scene really came to the scene, didn't they? Well, it's the same kind of parallel as you look at, the, at our entertainment th through TV. In the 50s, it was more family-oriented with, with Leave it to Beaver. Uh, of course, in the 90s, it was all about your friends, right? Your friends became your family then. And about five years ago, you know, The Walking Dead became very popular. Um, I guess we'll just describe it as uh, lifeless friends. <laughs> They're the zombies. <laughs> but it does make me beg a, beg a question is, as you look at the last two pictures there, has our uh, entertainment become deadened? The impact of social media and technology is real. We're looking at the culture of technology now. Their components often assist us in losing the ability to relate and communicate, especially face-to-face. -face. The great communications theorist Marshall McLuhan wrote, all media work us over completely. They are so per pervasive in their personal, political, economic, aesthetic, psychological, moral, ethical, and social consequences that they leave no part of us untouched, unaffected, unaltered. So I want you to remember this maxim when it comes to social media. The maximum is this. The medium is the message. And what does that mean? Well, if all I do is communicate with you via social media, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, texting, I would not consider that a very strong relationship if I never call you or talk to you face-to-face. -face. So technology found in and within the form of phones, that's another reality we're wrestling with in the culture today. Children receive smartphones with no strings attached. Probably not your kids, but a lot of kids. <laughs> There's nothing they don't know. But sadly, a lot of the information or images they find or that finds them has come to them at too early of an age. It is as if childhood has disappeared. Without a filter, the world teaches children what sex is. 
Kids can no longer be kids. The dark side of the internet is pornography. And it has been described as the wallpaper of our lives. (laughs) That means it's everywhere. A child is never too young to learn about sex. However, my argument is that it is a parent, not the internet, that should be teaching them. My water. (laughs) I got chloroseptic back there too. Next is um, the culture of family, church, and community. Likewise, every family has a culture. I'm not here to tell you what your family's culture is. A comment, however, from a local church member here in this church caught my attention. Kids were having to return to school from break, and this parents caught me off, her comment caught me off guard. See, most parents are in celebratory mood when their kids have to go back to school. Not this parent. <laughs> She said she loved spending time with her kids so much that she hated to see her kids had to go back to school. That is countercultural. That's how we must be today. I can't help but how, wonder how much different our society would be, how much different our nation would be if all our parents loved their children that much. Churches and communities have a culture too. And we, we know this church, Mount Carmel, is a very loving culture. I think everybody says that. I know it to, I found it to be true. Uh, my last church uh, was a very, very caring church. It was a different culture, another good thing, but we all, each church has its own culture. Uh, you know, as I drive around the community and, and try to analyze the culture here, like I was at Huddle House with, with some people today, and, and they were playing Christian music. That was awesome. I mean, that, that's, that's a cultural thing in the, in, the, in the local huddle house up here. That's a good thing. It's a breath, a breath of fresh air to drive around and witness phone poles with signs that say the words Jesus or repent. Have y'all seen those signs? Besides this, someone told me that prayer is still allowed at the high school football games. That is rare indeed. Uh, I've lived in two different counties in the south, and I've seen the ACLU come in and they've forced the Board of Education to make policies that either relate to prayer or having Scripture on a statue. At the end of the day, when it's all said and done, Scripture is removed and prayer in Jesus' name is not allowed. I have one other story about a community's culture. I live in a farming community where you can barely see your next-door neighbor's house. The farmhouse I grew up And it goes back at least 30 years. So I live out in the country. (laughs) However, lately, a a couple houses have gone up that don't look like other houses in the neighborhood, and we really don't have a neighborhood. (laughs) This is because these huge houses have a Middle Eastern architectural design to them. That's right. These houses in the middle of the country, in the middle of nowhere, belong to Muslims. My neighborhood, my country is changing. I don't see any need to pack up my bags and move, though. I mean, if you're going to move every time your community changes, soon you're not going to have a community to move to. I think the better strategy is to stay where God's put you, reach out to those who live near you with the gospel, no matter what race or religion they be. And I'm sure as you've seen the fact that our culture, our country is changing. You now know we have three Muslim women serving on the U.S. Senate. And I guarantee there's going to be many, many more to come. You can just look at Great Britain for that. Cities have a culture too. Cities drive culture, especially big cities. And the culture drives our nation. See how it works? Culture matters. If we look at the big city next door to us, Atlanta, we can first look at sports, right? Atlanta Braves have a winning culture in the 90s. We're all aware of it. The Falcons have had some recent success, but overall I kind of look at, look at them as perennial losers. I'm sorry. It's just a losing culture overall. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> sorry. 
if you're a Falcons fan. <laughs> but Atlanta United, who just started their soccer uh, team, they just won the MLS Cup in their second year. A great culture, winning culture. And in fact, um, Atlanta United is, has been called uh, the new America. When you just look at their crowds, it's very diverse, very diverse. And that is the new America. Uh, maybe you didn't know that uh, in the filming industry, Atlanta or Georgia was the number one location in the world. Isn't that amazing? And we've become the new Yollywood. <laughs> uh, the Walking Dead, which I mentioned earlier, began in Atlanta. Uh, some recent movies include The Blind Side, Hunger Games, Captain America. In other words, it's helping to shape pop culture in our whole country. And then, of course, we know CNN and the political sphere is headquartered in Atlanta. And like most big cities, Atlanta's blue. Um, that's kind of the way the culture works in the big cities. As, as Christians, uh, we need to understand that we can reach the cities, we can reach the nation. And so the liberal media, they understand how culture works. They've uh, capitalized on the big cities to drive secular culture throughout the nation. And as believers, we too should leverage the population found within cities to influence the advance of the kingdom, the advance of the gospel. Maybe God will call some of you in here to do just that. The North American Mission Board has, has identified strategically 32 cities that we send missionaries out to. They understand this principle. We're in a culture war. We're in for the fight of our lives. We're not fighting for Christian nationalism. The USA is uh, no longer a Christian nation. The Bible Belt has lost its buckle. Most people believe and live their lives as if there is no God. If God does exist, He doesn't care any about what is happening in my life. God's just a concept. He's not actively involved in my life. He has no desire to be. So I choose to ignore God and I don't have any need for God. That's the sentiment you'll find in the public. I'm reminded of Judges 17.6 which says everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Absolute truth has gone out the window. Maybe you've heard the quote, live for today. I, I think the more apt description would be live for yourself. The operant religion in the lives of most young adults and teenagers today has been identified as moralistic therapeutic deism, or MTD. Under MTD, people view God as a distant creator who desires humans to be nice and fair to one another and who intervenes in human experience only when called on to bestow blessings or resolve problems. The purpose of life, life is happiness, self-fulfillment, and a degree of goodness sufficient to earn entrance to heaven. I define MTD simply as a be good, feel good, do good religion. As we know, however, being nice is not enough to get one into heaven. I'm afraid many people are going into hell smiling. Andrew Root proposes Christians counter the false religion of MTD with HKT, hypostasis, kenosis, and theosis. Rather than defining the H, K, and T for you, I will summarize Root's sentiment by saying that once we die to ourselves, as Christ puts it, we experience a relationship with God himself. He, he humbly comes to minister to our brokenness, healing us with his being and sending us back into the world as new beings, now ready to minister to others in their own brokenness. Root says faith is not just consent to or belief in. As a reference, I'd like you to think of uh, creeds or confessions, statements of faith, plan of salvation, even the track that, that Josh mentioned uh, this morning. It's not just believing in that. That's not just faith. Root says faith is also an experience with Christ. You get that? 
of and with Christ who came to minister to you. You and He are literally joined at the hip. He is your minister. And because of His ministry toward you, you are to minister in turn to your fellow man. What are we fighting over? I'll get to that. Philip Reif, the late sociologist, argues that the West and the U.S. in particular are in the midst of an unprecedented project to desacralize the public square or otherwise eliminate religion from public life. This era's cultural elite, who would include many of our Supreme Court justices, want a secular framework upon which we can found our identity, learn our morality, and envision our future. Reif says these secular power brokers are actually poisoning our society and refers to these desacralized cultural institutions and products as death works. Reef says the officer class has chopped down some of our most beautiful trees, and we must refuse to prop ourselves up on dead limbs. We've got to plant new seeds and cultivate new life, which will take much work and time. That's fulfilling the cultural mandate. So what are these death works? If we're in the fight of our lives, what are we fighting for? Well... We're fighting over gender, gender identity. The doctrine of humanity will be the most pressing doctrine of our day. It is the one area of thought that is most challenged by the world in which we live, not to mention the one we have the least to draw from historically. Like we've never seen this stuff that's happened before. Now the church will need to act as an extended family providing models of manhood, womanhood, and parenthood to fatherless kids and others who are raising themselves and are as confused as they have ever been about who they are. Again, much of this confusion stems from the culture that media and the secular humanist agenda has produced in our nation. The old rock band Genesis sang a song in 1986 entitled Land of Confusion. I think the lyrics of this song describe our current reality and also what we as Christians need to do concerning our culture. The lyrics go as this, There's too many men, too many people, making too many problems, and not much love to go around. Can't you see? This is a land of confusion. This is the world we live in, and these are the hands we're given. Use them, and let's start trying to make it a place worth living in. Boy, they nailed it. (laughs) This confusion abounds. Boys and girls don't know that they're a boy or girl. And it abounds here. Last month, I went to a gas station in Demarest and noticed standing in front of the store a small homeless Asian man with a short haircut that looked like a woman's and was wearing bright pink pants. Many of our nation's youth are in a similar predicament. They're experimenting with the gender identity and or sexual orientation. I first learned the term bi-curiosity from a youth culture expert about five years ago. Many TV shows now promote teenagers in homosexual relationships. Many teens are now curious and are trying out same-sex relationships. Perhaps you remember about five years ago when Pink sang her song, I Kissed a Girl and I Liked It. I must admit to you that I've encountered things in the ministry in recent years that I never would have imagined when I started 20 years ago. To prove my point, and this is the most extreme example I have, I myself was recently hit on by a teenage boy. Not in this state, thank God. (laughs) I can only imagine what our students who live this new reality have to do to get by on a daily basis. For the next generation, transgender is a new homosexuality. What I mean by that is that whereby my generation became accustomed to sitting next to homosexuals in class, the next generation have become used to meeting and befriending transgenders. We're also fighting over the value of marriage. The National Institute of Child Health and Human Development reports cohabitation once rare is now the norm. The latest stat I have is that 67% of those who are married have cohabited before marriage with one or more partners. I have another stat that shows the next generation has decisively settled the question of same-sex marriage with 73% in favor. You have to think about this next statement a little bit, but I like what ethicist Scott Ray says. He says, no civilization has ever survived the destruction of the traditional family. That makes sense, doesn't it? (laughs) You can't. (laughs) You can't procreate. (laughs) 
The sexual revolution promises joy and freedom, but it can never keep those promises. The more the law of our land codifies the freedom of the sexual revolution, the more it will create people who are disappointed, wounded, and in worse bondage than before. Our role as Christians is to receive the refugees of the sexual revolution, to offer them something more permanent and true. Philip Reif says, American society is in the midst of an unprecedented experiment in building society apart from religion. One of the primary ways we've done this is through sex and gender. By untethering sex from marriage, we've enabled the normalization of no-fault divorce, the explosive spread of STDs, the death of 60 million babies in the womb, and an epidemic divorce rate. And by celebrating the severing gender identity from God-given sex, we will likewise reap a psychological, social, cultural, and political whirlwind. For examples, did you know we are already seeing many physicians who are willing to give hormonal treatments to gender dysphoric children in order to delay puberty? We're also fighting for the right for life. Abortions are decreasing in America, but reported rates are still in the 600,000 range. The unborn child in America today enjoys less legal protection than an endangered species of bird in a national forest. We're also fighting for life itself. Ethicists, and please understand, none of these views are mine. (laughs) Ethicist Joseph Fletcher believes humans with an IQ below 40 might not be a person, and humans with an IQ below 20 are definitely not persons. Peter Singer, a former professor of bioethics in Harvard and current Princeton philosopher, pushes for a utilitarian society that legitimizes killing senior adults with Alzheimer's and killing infants up to age 2 because he says they are not persons. Also, there are circumstances where Singer gives more rights to a chimpanzee than he does a human. 20 years ago, Singer wrote an article that unfortunately seems prophetic of where America stands today and regarding the sexual identity and the stuff I just talked about. Singer's new prophecies for America include bestiality and necrophilia, or that's sex with dead people. There are many more harmful, evil ideas circulating within our institutions of higher learning. doesn't get much higher than Harvard. Besides these ideas, many people in our country have given up on ideas. They've reached a state of helplessness, hopelessness, whereby they attempt to live their lives to the high offered by various drugs and prescription medication. In 2015, more than 33,000 Americans died as a result of opioid overdose fighting for life itself. We're also fighting for freedom of speech. Recently, a Soviet-born comedian was invited to speak at a college in London, but told he must sign a contract that would ban him from joking about racism, sexism, classism, ageism, ableism, homophobia, biophobia, transphobia, xenophobia, Islamophobia, anti-religion, or anti-atheism. Certainly, there are things we shouldn't joke about, but this contract is akin to asking a comedian to not make jokes. (laughs) I hope I don't see the day where any of us will be locked up for saying homosexuality is a sin, but at the rate we are going. There comes a time where we must obey God and not man. Government is supposed to be God's servant, not the other way around. We must always remember that. We're also fighting for human dignity. This is what your Sunday school lesson was about this morning. Adults. In all these culture worlds, the church is the hope of the world. Racial reconciliation can only happen when the church is the church. When we establish multi-ethnic and economically diverse churches of Christ-centered faith, we can both learn from and lead others to navigate the rough seas of division. By walking, working, and worshiping God together as one, we can get beyond the distinction of this world that so often and otherwise divide. If you look at Acts 2, which happened on earth, and Revelation 7, which happens in heaven, They give us two examples of the nations worshiping God together. That's the nations. There's only one blood. There's only one race. The human race. And my Bible tells me that Christ died for all. So that all would worship him as king. For those who don't look like me, God himself has challenged me to go the extra mile by treating them with double honor. This is the only way we can heal past wounds. We need to pray, repent, forgive, confess, lament, be one, and be captivated by the love of God that he has for us and for each other. 
And I promise you, as you go out of your way to learn from, understand, and worship with other cultures, your view of God will only increase. He'll become a bigger God. (laughs) Honor what God has put in other cultures. Understand that God is actively involved in reconciling broken relationships today in order that fallen humanity, by His grace, can be mended. When you think about it, our country was almost founded on slavery, right? Got a lot of mending that's still left to be done. This will be all the more important as our country diversifies. Within the, when the 2020 census is conducted, it is estimated that more than half of all U.S. children will be part of a minority race or ethnic group. Proverbs 4.23 teaches us to guard our hearts above all else. Our hearts can be labeled as our wanter. We worship what we want. When we think of liturgy, we most often think of church rituals, symbols, and so on. However, some secular liturgies have been identified which fight for our worship as well. These secular liturgies captivate us. At the same time, they misform and deform our desires. Their unconscious desires are ultimate loves that I mentioned earlier. Shopping malls themselves, they evoke a sense of wonder, awe, and escape. They call us to shop with friends, and they call us to keep coming back. Their grand architectural design closes us to the outside world. However, we may look up through the glass ceiling and see the sky. Products just magically appear in each store, and it's like each storefront says to us as we walk by, I exist just for you. Of course, nothing could be further from the truth. But as we enter each store, there's always someone coming up to offer us help. Materialism and commercialism cause us to return to our happy place because after all, the products we just purchased can only make us happy for so long. The ads on the store windows tell us we have a problem, yet the product we buy only offers a temporary solution. The continuous cycle of self-serving worship can almost be unobservable to our naked eye, that is, if we don't watch it. Stadiums, all stadiums. Again, the architecture almost blows us away. Here we are, thousands of our closest friends, all dressed in the same color, shouting the same chants. Everyone's attention is faced downward on the godlike figures playing on the field. We feel so detached from the ills of society. Everybody gets along. It's just a great place to worship. I mean, be. Universities. Philosopher James K. Smith says, Taken together, all these facets of the university build up generally a frenetic and frantic pace, rhythms of expenditure and exhaustion with little room for Sabbath. This too turns out to be excellent formative preparation for the real world of corporate ladder climbing and white-collar overtime needed in order to secure the cottage, the boat, and the private education for the kids. In short, while the official story tells us that it's what we're learning in the classroom that will prepare us to be productive members of society, it is actually the rituals of the university outside the classroom that might constitute the most formative aspect of of our education. Over time, these rituals, these veritable liturgies, mold, shape, and form us into certain kinds of people. The classroom and laboratory, lecture hall and library have played some role in this, but the information provided there has not been nearly as potent as the formation we received in the dorm and the frat house or the stadium and the dance club. So how do we respond to culture as a Christian? Well, one thing we can do is we can be against the culture, right? Secular culture is pretty bad, isn't it? We can try to escape the culture. We can, can, can treat the church as a bomb shelter and just as a safe place. Or we, we could fight against the culture. We're against it, and we treat the, the culture like, like we're an ultimate fighter. Okay, anything that we're going to punch our way back as the church. We're going to go against everything. There's, in other words, there's nothing good. The second option is uh, to be of culture. Uh, this, this means that you um, basically mirror the culture. A lot of churches are doing that today. 
In other words, you become like the culture that you're in. Okay? Uh, that's why a lot of our churches, you, you walk in and you see a McDonald's or Starbucks or, you know, bowling alley. <laughs> They're just the same as the world, right? Uh, the third option is to be in and for culture. This is my, my view, um, to be in the world but not of it. In other words, you don't reject or accept wholesale the culture. Okay? Um, you, you do your best to be a witness in the culture and to redeem the culture as it is, to direct it the right way. How about the church? Now, when I um, mention church and culture, I'm talking about the relationship that the church is supposed to have with the culture. And when I say church, I mean you, because you are the church. Right? Well, living in this culture is hard. And we, the church, we need each other. If we're going to live this Christian life out, I can't do it alone, not in this culture. I need you. Every dimension of our culture no matter what sphere it is, art, science, politics. It's an arena in which we can speak about Christ with our lips and reflect Him with our lives. You need to share your story. That's your testimony, your life story with people. They can relate. They can't argue against your story. It's your story. Tell them about your story with Jesus. Like a good movie preview, your life should be a preview of God's kingdom that the world will want to see. So I ask you this question. How are you redeeming the culture? Not talking about the church, not in here. I'm talking about out there. How are you redeeming the culture? How did God make or wire you? What talents, passions, interests, skills have you been given and how are you using these God-given gifts to recreate a fallen world. How are you fulfilling His cultural mandate? How are you recapturing various dimensions of culture that rightfully belong to King Jesus? My answer is, I helped Matthew coach a basketball team. We're Christian coaches, not just ordinary coaches. I also host a clean college football talk show at a third place to try to establish relationships with those who will never go to church unless I establish a relationship with them at a third place. In our fallen world, there's a lot of sports shows out there that are not clean. <laughs> so I ask you again, How are you redeeming the culture? Maybe you're making a pie for your neighbor. Or maybe you're throwing a ball with your son. I mean, after all, aren't these things that, the things that made our country great? Answering this question for some of you might not mean a return to the glory years, but it might. Our methods sometimes change. Either way, we need to make Christianity great again. I hope y'all caught that. MKGA. Make Christianity great again. Redeem the culture. Generation Z, those born after the year 2000, are becoming increasingly secular Six-year-old girls know more about Lady Gaga today than they do Lady and the Tramp. Probably don't even know who Lady and the Tramp is. When I grew up, I was raised by good parents who taught me that what I saw in movies and on TV were fantasy and not reality. That's no longer the case today. Many kids do not have two parents, and fantasy has become reality. Kids mirror their larger culture. Who they see, such as Lady Gaga, is who they want to be. Public space is the playground of the gods. 
Man in his individual autonomy and unfettered freedom has removed the imago Dei, that means image of God, and he's chosen to define humanity for his own purposes. The result is utter chaos. But rather than get discouraged and downcast about the times, lift up your, lift up your heads, Christians. When the wheel comes off and the bottom falls out in people's lives around you, this can be your finest hour. When the world is most against you, it is ripe for the picking. Though our society has removed the sacred from public life, our society just doesn't understand that once you remove the sacred order, there's nothing sacred left. Anarchy will reign and people will be looking to you for answers. Jesus is always the answer. Soak yourself in the story of the scriptures, the true story of the world. We've got it. The western story of the world is indeed small and distorted. And traditionally, we Baptists, we've done a great job of stating our beliefs. Let's make sure we're worshiping the one, we're redeeming the culture whom these beliefs are about, Jesus Christ. Your salvation is a public declaration of Christ's lordship. The whole of life is Christian mission. The word of God frames every cultural reality. May you use the gospel to reframe every public issue and to revitalize every sphere of life. May you pursue righteousness in all aspects of culture. May you excavate items, I mean idols, excuse me, such as individual freedom, wealth acquisition, and erotic pleasure. And may you add Christian liturgy to your life. May you find points of contact with unbelievers, and may you then have God talks with them. That means share the gospel. You can live the gospel out in your homes, neighborhoods, workplaces, and even political arenas. Along the way, you can renew your own marriages, families, churches, and businesses. Invest in institutions, not just movements. Play the long game and take the broad view Redeem the culture out of obedience to the Lord and not primarily to win the culture war. Seek what is best for the nation. Work on behalf of people who are financially disadvantaged, socially marginalized, or downtrodden due to to race, ethnicity, or culture. Seek the good of the whole. Seek the good of the city. Don't behave like ill-gotten politicians and refuse to do tribal identity politics. Do not wholesale embrace any political leader. It is the Bible's overarching narrative that is important, not the Fox or CNN cable news network narrative. It is Jesus, not money, power, or sex that is Lord. Make sure your ultimate allegiance is to Jesus Christ not any particular political ideology, party, or platform. Don't follow social whims or other spins and takes on reality. When you stand up for Jesus, you will stand out. You will be pressured to compromise your principles. Resist. Jesus is Lord. Caesar is not. Challenge the public idols of our nations. As you do, you will be tempted to focus on your rights. Resist. Minister from the margins. You'll be seduced by cynicism and pessimism. Resist. Sacrifice is found in the way of the cross. The realm of politics will one day be raised to life and made to bow in submission to the king. So remain confident and humble, knowing Jesus will gain victory and restore this earth. 
I'd like to ask you at this time to stand at the reading of God's Word. I'm going to end with Psalms 96, and we're going to proceed into a business meeting. Josh may want to give you a time to stretch, (laughs) and I certainly don't mind if you stretch now. Listen to the Word of the Lord. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless His name. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. Say among the nations, The Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the people with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For He comes, for He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people in His faithfulness.